Welcome to the New Story Church podcast. The message you're about to enjoy was delivered live at New Story Church in downtown Los Angeles. For more information, check out newstorychurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message. Yes, yes, yes. By show of hands, how many of you have ever seen the show Tidying Up by Marie Kondo? Just raise it high and proud. All right, all right. Yes, yes. I don't know about you, but that actually sparks joy in my life. The stage, not so much, okay? Maybe it's the OCD in me, but I love it when things are tidy and clean and neat. Amen? Any OCD people in here? Come on, let me hear a loud amen. All right, all right. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here at New Story, and I am so thrilled that you could join us today. You know, the clip that we saw is actually from the show Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. Now, she's a bestseller on the New York Times, and she has a hit show on Netflix. And the premise of the show is that she goes from house to house trying to help people reclaim their space by cutting back on clothing and furniture and displays and other decor by asking a very simple question, does it spark joy? Does it spark joy? And when the items don't spark joy, they are things that we could actually do without. And this has become such a big phenomenon because I think people are seeking and desiring and wanting to experience joy. Now, what does this have to do with the Bible? Well, God wants you to experience joy. God wants us to experience joy. Look, we want to experience joy. God wants us to experience joy. But why don't we experience joy? And that's why we're going through the series called Spark Joy, going through the book of Philippians written by the Apostle Paul, because this book is really a letter about joy. And last week, we learned that this letter contains the word joy or form of joy no less than 16 times in only four chapters. And this was all written in a time where Paul was wrongfully imprisoned. And yet, he lived with joy in spite of his circumstances. So we started this series last week looking at a bird's eye view, and we learned three essentials to living with joy, right? First, you cannot have joy unless you trust God's process for your life, that what God started in you, he will complete. And that's encouraging because no matter how many times we fail, no matter how many mistakes we make along this journey called life, God is still molding and shaping us, and he's not done. Secondly, you cannot have joy unless you stick to God-pleasing priorities, making the main thing the main thing and not sweating all the little stuff that we get sidetracked with. And then lastly, you cannot have joy unless you live with purpose and the ultimate purpose, living for God. Now look, you can be happy and we learn the difference between what happiness and what joy is, right? Happiness is dependent on one's circumstances while joy is more constant. It's more internal, it's foundational, and that's what God wants us to experience. And so no matter what happens in life, good or bad, we can experience joy. And so the question is, don't we all want to experience joy? And so today we're going to continue in chapter 2, verses 1 through 18, and this is the chapter of finding joy in and through humility. Everybody say humility. Humility. Joy in and through humility. Humility. That if you want to experience joy, 
a joy that lasts, a joy that endures, true joy, one of the ways is through humility. And I truly believe that humility will revolutionize the way you experience joy in your life. Now look, this is countercultural to human nature. And that can seem pretty strange because how do you find joy in humility? See, oftentimes we operate on the other spectrum of humility to achieve joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. We're taught from a very, very young age to strive harder, to climb higher, to build status, achieve greatness, because that's how you're going to find joy and happiness and fulfillment. And then we start believing it. And we can all relate to this, right? Look, we start out renting a one-bedroom apartment. And then we have a roommate to share our expenses with. You know, a few years go by, now we could afford a cheap condo. Then we get married and we scrape and we borrow just enough to get a fixer-upper. And then a few years go by, we trade that in for a four-bedroom and three-bath. The higher we get, the more status we have, the more we achieve, the more joy we think we'll have. Or we make the team, and then we get to substitute for two games. The next year, we are first string, all conference. Then we get a scholarship to college. All American, first round draft pick, all-star Hall of Fame. I put Magic because he was my favorite player, right? There's always some ladder to climb. The higher we get, the more status we have, the more we achieve, the more joy we think we'll have. Or how about the graduation ceremony? The lowly graduate at the end of the procession in their flimsy black robe, not much thicker than a hospital gown, plain black hat, one colored tassels. In front of them, the junior faculty, the ones who don't yet have their doctorates. In front of them, the regular faculty, thick black robes with felt bars on either side of them, right? And then you have those who are what? Reading the graduating names, the department chairs, and then the deans, the ones who will sit on the platform. And leading the whole procession is the president with his gold medallion, and next to him, the commencement speaker, usually somebody famous. There's always a ladder to climb. The higher up the ladder, the higher status we have, the more we achieve, the more joy we think we'll have. And then if we don't have enough status, what do we do? We'll try to create status to feel a sense of joy. I once heard this. Three dogs met. One dog said to the other three, three dogs, my name is Fifi, F-I-F-I. The second dog said to the other two, well, my name is Mimi, M-I-M-I. And the third dog said, my name is Fido, P-H-A-E-D-E-A-U-X. Fidel. You see, the more we obtain, the more status we have, the more we achieve, we think that's how we spark joy. And our whole life revolves around this idea. But everything that I've described, and it takes many different forms, it can be boiled down to one word, and that word is pride. Pride. See, the opposite of humility is pride. And we talk about pride because pride will suck the joy out of your life, but humility will spark the joy into your life. So before we talk about Jesus and Paul's example of humility and how that sparks joy, let me describe just some of the symptoms of pride. Here's a checklist, and I want you to take a note and see if you fall into any one of these categories, all right? Some symptoms of pride. First, pride is their encouragement to compare ourselves to other people. 
And we tend to pick other people that we feel are less than us, less intelligent, less successful, less affluent, less attractive. And we do this because it makes us feel better, more confident, and more important. And in doing so, we think we'll experience joy. Do you have this? Secondly, pride covets the success of other people. When they succeed, we become jealous, envious, and covetous. That's why sometimes we will critique people when they succeed. We're jealous. So we strive and strive to be more successful than others because we think that it will give us joy once we achieve it. How about this? Third, pride is about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I need. It's about what I think. It's about what I feel. It's about what I declare. It's about what I deserve. And when it's not met, I'm miserable. So I feed me thinking that will make me happy. Fourth, pride is about my glory. Do you know who I am? Do you respect me? Do you know what I've done? Do you honor me? Do you praise me? Do you like me? Do you want to be like me? And when we're recognized, we think that's where joy comes from. Next, pride is saying, I am God. Little G God, but I am God. I sit on the throne and I make commands and I expect other people to obey and honor me. If I'm the boss, I'm happy. Six, pride leads to arrogance, cockiness, and smugness. You see, it, we think it gives us a right to boast, but in reality, what it does is it repels people from us. Seventh, Pride is independence. Independence from God or anyone else who say otherwise. I don't need anyone. The more I rely on God and other people, the more of a crutch that I'm on. And number eight, lastly, Augustine, the great church father, says rightly that pride is the mother of all sin. That pride is pregnant with all kinds of sin. And I believe that's true. That under all sin is pride. That pride is the root of sin that leads to the fruit of sin, which would mean conversely that humility is the mother of all joy then. How are you doing on this list? How are you doing? See, what our passage is going to tell us this week is this, that humble people are the only people who truly have the possibility of being joyful people. And again, the question that we want to answer today is this, how does humility spark joy? How does humility spark joy? And so in our passage today, there are two main ways in which humility sparks joy. So let's take a closer look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. And here's the first point. That first, humility sparks joy in relationships and community. Humility brings joy in relationships and community. So let's begin by looking in verse 1. And here's what the Apostle Paul writes. So... If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. There's that word, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. See, Paul says, complete my joy by having the same mind of Christ. That when we think like Jesus, when you live like Jesus, when we have unity in Jesus, you are going to experience joy. And how does Jesus live? Well, verse 3 and on goes on to describe that. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. 
See, Paul describes what living like Jesus and what living in humility is. Look, let each of you not look to your own self-interest, but to the interest of other people around you. See, there's nothing that builds relationships and community stronger and surer than humility. And nothing breaks relationships and community faster than pride. So Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit. Rather, he says, have this posture of humility. He says pride works itself out. He says in selfish amb ambition and conceit. Selfish ambition, meaning you're in competition for resources, information, power, title, status. Conceit, you're jealous of other people. So how does pride suck joy and humility spark joy? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been around proud people? Like they're always boasting about their next adventure, their next item, their next accomplishment. And somehow every conversation you have with that person, it returns back to them. It revolves around them. Do you know people like that? Don't look at the person sitting next to you. When you're around people like that, do you gravitate towards them? Or do you distance yourself from them? See, nobody likes to be around people like that because they suck the joy out of you. It is unpleasant to be around people who care more about themselves than others. Now, on the flip side of that, have you ever been around people who were humble and selfless? They're always attending to others. They don't need a spotlight. They don't need any of that attention. They care about the needs of others. They're always giving and not just receiving. And when you're around people like that, do you gravitate towards them or do you distance yourself from them? See, everybody likes to be around people like that because they deposit joy into your life. And some people are always alone and isolated and they wonder why nobody is around them. It might be because of pride. You don't notice, you're not aware that the world revolves around you. See, relationships and community are built around humility, not pride. And just in case you haven't gotten the point of what humility, humility looks like, Paul further goes on to say in verses 5 through 11, listen to these verses, okay? Because this is Jesus' example of humility, and it is astonishing. It is amazing. And it says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But Jesus, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." See, Paul lifts up for us Jesus as the most humble person who has ever lived or will ever live. Here's the picture. You and I continue to strive and climb up ladders, getting higher, achieving more, building status thinking that will create joy in our lives. But you and I know that it doesn't work that way. See, having more of anything, money, success, promotions, materials, it makes us happy. Let's not kid ourselves, all right? If I got a raise, Pastor Tom, I'd be very happy. 
right? If we won the lottery, we'd be ecstatic. But when we lose those things, it makes us unhappy. But joy lasts beyond circumstances. So Jesus isn't climbing up ladders. He's climbing down the ladder. The God of the universe, the one who created everything, he left the riches of heaven and he became a human. I want you to think about this. He was Superman without any weaknesses. He couldn't get any higher. He's on top of the organization list. If you're God, you can't get promoted. If you're God, you can't get a raise. You already own everything. And when he took on human flesh, he became like you and me and all the flaws that come along with it. Pimples and backaches and knee pain. Look, my doctor tells me that I have a body of a 70 year old. I'm serious. I feel back tightness every day. Do you know that I need surgery on both of my knees? My body's breaking down and I feel it every day. Just ask my wife, how humble is Jesus that he left heaven? He took on human flesh, all the imperfections that come along with it. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus ceased to be God when he became a man, but he set aside his rights. He set aside the use of his divine, divine attributes. While on earth, Jesus was still God. He was worshiped as God. He declared himself to be God. He forgave sins, which only God can do. So Jesus, while on earth, was God. But God does not grow and change. So Jesus set aside his divine attribute of immutability so that he could grow from a little baby to a boy to a man. See, God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. And so Jesus set aside that attribute so that he will learn to read and write as we do. That Jesus Christ humbly lived a fully human life while still being God, still having the right to be worshipped as God, still having the attributes of God, but humbled himself, choosing instead to live with us like us without the sin. But he doesn't stop there. He comes into a life of poverty. He doesn't come with royalty. He comes into poverty. He doesn't come to do a well-to-do family. He doesn't have much, and he's also a servant. Well, that's as low as you can get. But he doesn't stop there. He also dies on a cross, a death for criminals, because that's what it was back in those days, a humiliating death so that guilty sinners like you and me can find forgiveness and life. And I remember when I finally understood the extent of Jesus' humility and his sacrifice for me. It was the freshman year of my college. And I thought to myself one point after hearing the message, and really, God? Really, God? Like, like you love me that much? Like, with all of my failures, with all of my flaws, that you would love me? That in humility, you would go lower and lower and lower so that I could be brought back into a right relationship with you? Isn't that why many of you are here today? You are here because you experienced that. Or maybe you're curious to see what this Jesus is all about. But he died in such a way as to be our substitute and pay the penalty of our sin. And the great exchange is this, that all of my sin, it goes on Jesus and all of his perfection is given to me. That all of my condemnation goes to Jesus and his salvation 
comes to me. That my separation from God goes to Jesus and his reconciliation with God is given to me. That my pride is laid on Jesus and his humility is laid on me. And God is so good that in dying for me, he forgives me and gives me a new life and forgives all my sin. And that right there is available for anyone who chooses to believe. You see, when you see humility in a person, it attracts you to them. Think about any relationship, brothers and sisters, couples, spouses, friends. If they were humble and selfless, what would you feel? What would that do in your relationships? And Jesus set the example of humility for us, that we would have a right relationship with him and with other people. You see, humility sparks joy in relationships and community, and pride kills relationships and community. We were created to be communal beings. This is why there's so much joy when our relationships are in a good place, right? This is why we say things like, I don't know what I'd do without you. Because no matter how bad our situation or our circumstances might be, there is joy in knowing that we have good friends who will walk with us through that trials. And that right there is built on humility. Do you want to experience joy in your relationships? Try humility. Here's the second point, real quickly. Humility sparks joy through service. Humility brings joy into your life when you serve others. Now we shift from Jesus' example of humility to Paul's example of humility. Look at verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you, right? Forms of the word joy. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Four times Paul speaks of a form of joy in the second section. I am glad. I rejoice with all of you. Likewise, I want you to be glad and I want you to rejoice with me. Question. What brings Paul so much joy? Service. Serving God and serving others. See, Paul tells us that even if he's being poured out as a drink offering, giving his whole life in service for others, he finds joy in that. Like he's being used by God to give all of himself. He's not saving. There's nothing left in the tank in service for others and for God's glory. And in that, he's glad. He rejoices. And then he tells us, to do the very same thing. That in your service to God and in your service to others, Paul takes great joy writing to the Philippian church, and then he says, you will find joy in that. You know, there's a Chinese saying that goes, if you want joy for an hour, take a nap. If you want joy for a day, go fishing. If you want joy for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want joy for a lifetime, help somebody. Again, this is so countercultural 
because we tend to live for ourselves. News alert, we are selfish people. I am selfish. And maybe that's why we're so miserable at times. But when we live in service for God and for others, there's a joy that comes along with that. You know, I'm learning that the joy of faithful service is often sometimes like a woman giving birth. Not that I have a child, not that I know. <sighs> but it's kind of like that, where the mother, she's ready to endure the discomfort of pregnancy and the final agony of giving birth for the joy of having a child. Now, isn't that what it often feels like? Serving doesn't always feel good. You don't always get recognized for it. It doesn't always produce joy right away. Serving can actually make us depleted, feel like we're taken advantage of, and it takes great humility to serve God and to serve others. And Paul knows our tendency, so in our passage, he says, like, don't grumble, don't complain in the midst of it. Now look, I'm guilty of this. Have you guys ever thought to yourself while you're serving, like, why isn't that person serving? Like, why isn't that person doing anything? How come I'm the only one moving? Like, why is everyone just sitting around and not doing anything? Have you guys ever thought that? Don't. Right? I know I have confession. But this is where humility comes in. That when you humble yourself, when your heart and motivation for why you serve is focused back on Jesus, that the most humble person ever, taking his example, that we're more blessed in giving than receiving, that we're more blessed in serving than in being served, we experience joy. That the richest, truest, deepest, realest blessing that can come to any heart is the blessing of giving, of doing, of sacrificing for others, serving them in love. Let me give you a couple examples. Before we came back here, we were at LATTC, right? Just a few weeks back, we were there. And at LATTC, we were a mobile church where we had to set up and tear down every week. Now look, this was a whole lot of work, okay? And I know because I was in the trenches with some of you who were on the set up and tear down team. And right now, I actually want to give a shout out to all the set up and tear down teams. Can we give them a hand? You know who you are. You know who you are. Because your service to God and to News Story I'm just being honest, it's what sparked joy in me. See, you served so faithfully without ever grumbling or complaining, and you did it because you wanted every person who walked into a new story to have the best experience possible. And I'm telling you, week in and week out, as I observed you and as I watched you serve, I experienced this joy because of your service. And I want you to know that. That when I got home on Sundays and I would be so exhausted, and you probably were too, but I was so joyful. I was so tired, but it was always a good tire. You know what I'm talking about? You know, when I meet up with couples for premarital counseling, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of energy, but I enjoy it so much because when the lessons actually click for the couples, it's all worth it. That when you see the joy your service brings to others, there's a joy that you feel that just feels right. That this is what it's about. That no matter how hard ministry gets, I can still experience joy when I serve others. I keep pouring myself, giving everything that I have to others because it sparks a joy in me that I can't experience otherwise. And only humility can take you to that place. Do you want to experience joy? Instead of being served, try serving. 
As I close, let me give you some practical truths to live out to build a posture of humility that will spark joy in your life. Because I think for all of us, including myself, we're all works in progress when it comes to humility. And I want you to leave here with some tangible, concrete things that you can actually work on to cultivate humility, develop humility in your life because I want you and God wants you to experience joy. So here's the first practical thing I'll leave you with. Follow the truth wherever it leads. Follow the truth wherever it leads. If it means it leads you to you're wrong, then follow it. If it leads you to that's not what's best for you, but it's best for all, then follow it. If it leads you to you need to apologize, then follow it. Don't always defend yourself. Don't always do what's best in your own interest. Follow the truth wherever it leads, even though that might be hard. Secondly, invite and pursue correction. This is a toughie. This is a toughie. Because there's a lot of people who get very, very defensive. Right? But invite, pursue, and correction. Tell the people in your life, look, I'm blind to my own blindness. I'm foolish to my own folly. I need you to confront me. I need you to rebuke me and correct me. I need you to speak the truth in love to me. Because when I'm acting like a jerk, I need you to say it. I need you to give me counsel because sometimes I don't know what to do. I need correction because sometimes I say and do the wrong thing. And receive it. Don't fight it. Don't argue. Don't blame shift. Don't change the topic. Receive it. Everybody say receive receive and invite correction, all right? Thirdly, learn from everyone, including your enemies and critics. Learn from everyone, including your enemies and critics. Have the humility to overlook their pride, even if they don't have the right motivations, because God might actually have something for you that is truthful for you if you're humble enough to overlook their pride and their bad intentions. Fourth, repent quickly and thoroughly. Don't make someone pin you to the ground, right? On the mat and break your arm before you tap. No, just tap. Look, I sinned. I was wrong. I made a mistake. I screwed up. I was evil. I'm a jerk. I'm sorry. Make it simple. Five, seek and celebrate God's grace at work in others. God is always at work in other people, not just you. So look for it. Encourage it. Look, I see God changing you here, growing you here. I see what he's doing through you here, and I'm encouraged by this. Nurture and encourage God's grace at work in other people and talk to them. Encourage them. Give them a word of truth and life. Six, cultivate his spirit of thanks, thankfulness, right? His spirit of thankfulness. Be thankful, people, and be thankful for God. And tell him to cultivate an attitude of thankfulness. Proud people, they think they deserve everything. They're entitled. Humble people, they they know they deserve nothing. And anything beyond that is a real gift. So they're able to be thankful. Seven, listen to scripture. Listen to the Bible more than you listen to yourself. Look, we can lie to ourselves. We can deceive ourselves. We can con ourselves. We even condemn ourselves or maybe even justify ourselves. All of the full gamut, we do. Don't listen to yourself so much. Listen to what God's word has to say, and God will speak to you truthfully through his word. Eight, exalt the name of Jesus in all you do. Look, the right answer to every question is whatever it makes Jesus look good, okay? Because he is. Don't do what exalts your name, lifts you up. Do and say what lifts up Jesus, and you'll never regret that. Ninth, laugh. Laugh. We're going to laugh right now, okay? 
and it was kind of awkward. Just laugh. <laughs> Just laugh. Humor me, humor me, laugh. <laughs> yeah, laugh. Proud people can't laugh. They're always way too serious. <laughs> they can't laugh at themselves. So let me just state this, you are ridiculous. You are. I am ridiculous. You and I are great comedic material. Don't waste it, redeem it. <laughs> laugh, laugh. And 10th, sleep, sleep. Don't sleep right now. <laughs> Pursue humility, repent, lift the name of Jesus, and then go to bed and sleep well. Proud people don't sleep well. They're always wondering, what are people saying about me? What are people thinking about me? What are people doing? How will they perceive me? How will they respond to me? Will I win? Will I lose? But scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God, teach me your humility. I'm gonna go to bed now, and I trust that you're gonna work it out, and you know, you feel, whenever you feel is right, I know you're gonna answer. Humble people sleep differently than proud people. So in closing, look, I don't teach on humility because I have it all together. News, I don't. If you know me, you know that I'm a work in progress. But I say this as someone who also wants to experience joy. I do. Do you know out in the world, a world exists for self-help, self-esteem, self-actualization, and yet we are the most depressed generation in a very long time. See, humility, though hard to come by, is essential to a life of joy in the midst of a fallen world. If we seek honor for ourselves, we end up bitterly disappointed and God's plan is the opposite. Humble ourselves and excel in serving and honoring others, and God will lift you up. God will exalt you. Look, this is a radical idea, but I'm so passionate about this because I just think that it will change our marriages. I just think that it will change our families. I think it will change our interactions with our coworkers. And certainly, the church will become more of a place of hope and healing, a refuge for the weary, a hospital for the hurting, whenever God's people share the thinking of Jesus. I just think that it will revolutionize and change everything of how we experience joy. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we begin by acknowledging and confessing individually and corporately that we are sinners. And that under our sin is the pride which compels us to live in defiance and disobedience 
and disrespect and disregard who you are and other people in our lives. So we ask this morning for the gift of humility. We ask that the life of Jesus and the example of Paul would be a great example for us. And as we live that out, that we would experience joy. Help us, oh God. God, it is your desire for us to have joy and experience. So I pray, Lord, leaving this place, that we will have concrete, tangible, intentional steps we will take to cultivate and develop a posture of humility so we can experience joy the way you want us to. Give us the strength to do that now. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you were inspired by this message, we hope you'll share it with a friend and subscribe to our podcast. Or best of all, come visit us in person at our LA campus. For directions, service times, and more info, check out newstorychurch.com. Thanks again, and see you soon.